0: Welcome to the Alternative Design Podcast. We provide an opportunity for creatives to rethink space and how it's designed by inviting unlikely perspectives to the conversation. Whether we're looking at living probiotics for buildings or exploring the first city to be constructed on Mars, we believe there's innovation to be found in the margins. I'm your host, Kaylin Reed, design futurist at Kimball International. Join us as we dive deeper than the mainstream conversations and find alternative ways to design for a better human experience. Since 80s throwbacks are kind of having a moment right now, thank you, Stranger Things, we thought we'd hop on the trend. So we made you a mixtape. It's basically our greatest hits album of our most alternative, boundary-breaking design ideas we explored from Season 1. So if you haven't had time yet to binge the full episodes, no problem. This episode will give you all the highlights. This is Episode 13, The Mixtape, Volume 1.
1: Two germs were killing a little time.
2: One of them said, let's go.
1: As soon as humans occupy that space, pretty much whatever they're wearing, no matter how hard they try, they will be emitting their own microbial signature into that environment. Bear in mind that the vast majority of microorganisms died as soon as they landed in that cold, dry, hostile environment. We found out that the the ones that did survive were often the nastier ones. These were bugs that had antibiotic resistance that could adapt to that very harsh ecosystem and, and survive. From our perspective, it meant that there's no such thing as a sterile room. That really opened our eyes to the potential of the environment of the hospital to actually promote the growth of bugs which could be potentially harmful to humans. Um, The opposite of what you might expect. We could augment that environment to make it less likely that dangerous organisms will survive and thrive.
0: This is how we started Alternative Design, with microbiologist Jack Gilbert upending years of traditional understanding around the cleanability and sterilization of surfaces, textiles, and furniture in hospitals during a pandemic. We found out that the buildings, just like us, can have a microbiome, or millions of bacteria that make up an environment. But what if we could make sure that our spaces had more good bacteria in it? A probiotic for buildings, maybe? But why stop at buildings? Here's Rosie, a fashion textile designer.
3: I feel like every material that we are in contact with with our body is important. So I think that furniture isn't an exception. So through developing textiles with probiotics, I was also looking at what other ways I can include therapeutic or beneficial ingredients into textiles. And that's what gave me the idea to look at Um, chairs and specifically camping chairs for my new project. And the textile material is made of a custom knitted fiber and the yarns are incorporated with seaweed. And I've chosen seaweed because it's a more responsible yarn to use as it's quite resourceful. And it also holds interesting therapeutic properties, including antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and is also really rich in vitamins, minerals, and amino acids.
0: So then we decided to shift our focus from buildings to something a bit more mobile, to explore how a Chicago nonprofit is exposing kids to design early, to remove some of the barriers of entry that exist within our own design profession. This is Maya Bird Murphy from Chicago Mobile Makers.
4: If you're just consistently the only person in the room that looks like you, it's really uncomfortable. And then really started thinking about how I could do something personally to to start changing this or addressing this problem. We recently converted a USPS mail truck into a mobile design studio. We do design thinking and problem solving workshops all over Chicago, and we do all of these workshops with youth. The point of these is that we're trying to diversify
5: the architecture
4: field and have conversations about lack of diversity in the fields, but then also start giving young people the skills and exposing people early to design and hopefully years later, we have more people of color entering these fields.
0: In order to take action in the face of injustice, you have to see it first, which is an ongoing, active process and is the work we must do to design accessible, equitable, and inclusive spaces for everyone. In episode three, we talked to a living music legend, he shared the stage with The Temptations, Aretha Franklin, and The Jackson 5 as a prolific guitar player and member of Motown's Funk Brothers. This is Dennis Coffey.
2: I don't think the teamwork part of the Funk Brothers has given enough credit. It standardized the sound, and the standard sound was us, the Funk Brothers. That was the rhythm section. It was the same 11 guys all the time. Then we all worked together a guitar section. We'd look at the arrangements and say, well, what part do you want? Oh, well, I'll do this part. Okay, well, I'll do this part.
0: The Funk Brothers were a critical part of the hit-making factory's assembly line-inspired process. So we dug a little deeper and asked if our design process, particularly those found within multidisciplinary firms, could operate like the assembly line Henry Ford made so popular. But what we found is that people are not cars.
5: Even if you're working within a system, you see that you have the ability to go further. And sometimes that opportunity is given to you, and sometimes it's stifled and then sometimes it has to fight to break through. So I think that's what Mr. Gordy might have been trying to capsulize in that statement, cars are not people. The notion that you can create an assembly line where every product comes out identical, okay? That doesn't happen with humans. All of us are unique individuals.
0: In episode four, we traded Motown Glitter and Glam for sprinkles, specifically an entire pool of sprinkles, like the one you'll find at the Museum of Ice Cream, where Eric Lubkin served as a senior designer of architecture.
2: You get out into the world of architecture and interior design, it's a very, very visual heavy industry. And so, you know, you start to look at ways that you can you can bring the other senses into your experience. Certainly, there are ways that we've brought in smell and touch, particularly with materiality and that kind of thing. But something as key to our experience of the world as taste, getting to bring that into our experience of our physical environment right off the bat is uh, a pretty exciting thing. And outside of, I suppose, restaurants, you, you really don't have much of that. I think that we're all craving a little bit of a sweet experience right now in our lives. And so to me, the sensory aspects of the experience, that's the, that's the strength of it. And that's the craving right there. It's satisfying the craving for just a sweet, holistic experience.
0: During the pandemic, we became immersed in Zoom calls, The problem, we found, is that technology just isn't a substitute for in-person connection. We recognize that multi-sensory spaces are beneficial for creativity, for memory making, and so much more than just retail and hospitality applications.
5: There's all these different aspects that you can kind of influence and take into what is immersive blank, right? What is immersive learning? What is immersive play? What is immersive workplace? There's just all these different avenues you can go, so. I think now is a great time to talk about it because everybody's trying to immerse in a new environment, whatever that means, whether it's virtual or in person.
0: We learned that the more senses engaged in the design, the more memorable the experience. And speaking of memorable experiences, episode five is still the most memorable for me. We went to Mars to understand the design of the first potential self-sufficient city called Nua. This is the owner of a Bibu studio, Alfredo Munoz.
3: Many comments are criticizing the ideas behind Nua, and some of that criticism is saying, well, why do we focus on creating a settlement on Mars when we have so many problems here on Earth? And it's true, we have so many problems on Earth that we need to solve. And what I would like to say to all those colleagues, designers, as you probably are very well familiar with, innovation is not a linear process sometimes the most innovative solutions comes when we are forced to think out of the box. If we are forced or we are free to let go the, the entire framework and look at how we could solve a sustainable self-sufficient city on Mars, there are some of those ideas that we would not have thought otherwise. And some of those ideas are indeed useful for Earth.
0: While we definitely want to look to the future as we solve design challenges on Earth, we can't forget the ancient wisdom that has already been here for thousands of years. Our next episode focused on indigenous designs and technologies that have wrongly been deemed primitive or low-tech. But author of Low Tech, spelled T-E-K, Julia Watson, reminded us that our so-called high-tech solutions embedded in the built environment may not be as efficient or
4: multi-purpose as we think. modernity was about efficiency, the industrial process, output, universal solutions for a a world that would modernize all in the same way without diversity. And it had this sort of idea of the universal and the singular, the singular related to a singular function and a singular performance. And so within that, you have building systems that perform singularly for load-bearing capacity and structural resilience. You might have fire, waterproofing, but these are all separate systems. They don't underpin themselves with this idea that like okay what's a material that can do every single one of these things that might still be living that might still be growing that might be regenerative within itself that might also be carbon sequestering that might be water cleansing that can do all of these things and also function to be structurally resilient and thermally dynamic.
0: the music you're listening to this mixtape not only features some of our greatest ideas but it also contains our latest music album as a companion to each episode of season one and the best part is that it's meant to be listened to while you work kind of like a creative boost to your day look for alternative design album on apple spotify and on our limited edition vinyl records we'll throw a link in the description Technologies and building systems that are designed symbiotically with the land are not only sustainable, but can also be regenerative and contribute to greater biodiversity. Our seventh episode launched just as Olympian Simone Biles stepped down from the Games to support her mental health, a symbol that mental health was and still is at crisis levels and must be addressed with new and innovative design solutions. One of these solutions came in the form of a COVID test shipping container pop-up that two students proposed for the city of Toronto that featured murals by local artists. Bronte is a recent graduate of the University of Toronto's Master of Architecture program.
5: Our goal was to make something that was very simple, very easily constructible, and could work in many different settings. We felt that it was a good opportunity to use the healing power of art and any local artists in the community and give them the opportunity to showcase their work in a setting where a lot of people would get to see it, but also that the therapeutic properties of it would be beneficial, since testing is a pretty stressful experience for a lot of people, as well as with vaccinations. Seeing
0: how beneficial these pop-ups were to underserved communities with little access to COVID testing, we started to ask if they might also serve as crisis stabilization units or treatment centers for behavioral health conditions. When talking to designer Stacey Root from Canon Design, she shared that much more of these short and long-term care facilities are being located downtown to be in proximity to local businesses. This intentional placement that offers more visibility to the public could be the key to breaking down stigmas around mental health facilities.
4: And so there are other ways that other organizations can partner or buckle on to these wellness centers. For example, is there an on-site garden that maybe also produces food but is therapeutic in nature and perhaps has volunteers and so you're starting to destigmatize by getting that sort of crossover so anything else that we can sort of bundle up with these types of programs will go toward that end of destigmatizing the treatment
0: but as we continue to dig into how to design for holistic mental well-being We couldn't ignore this space that traditionally has gotten little to no design consideration, but houses some of the largest volume of people needing care. We spoke to Nashville Sheriff Darren Hall.
4: The largest mental health system is your jail or your prison. It's true in this country, LA Jail Tonight is the largest mental health institution. Every city is dealing with that. The sad part is, we told the public, we, the society, that we were going to destigmatize them. Now we not only tell them that they're mentally ill, we say you're criminal. And here's your illness diagnosis, so good luck and move on. So it is a total failure.
0: While well, certainly not an easy or simple topic to explore, we had the hard conversations around what is humane design. Our guest Mary Heinen spoke about her experience when she was sentenced to prison in 1976.
4: It's facilities that are not meant for human beings. and. You know, they spend millions and millions of dollars to do all sophisticated facilities with maximum security lockdown and all that. But the majority of prisoners in the United States are in old, decrepit places that are gross, gross violations of human rights. And I can't even begin to tell you how much that affects you for the rest of your life.
0: While these important conversations around justice, design, and behavioral health must continue, we felt that theater professor Ashley Lucas gave an incredible challenge to rethink this space and how it could be designed.
5: Most of the time, we articulate anything to do with the carceral system in terms of trying to target the individual who we think is bad or wrong. And we don't think about the larger issue of public safety. If you want people to be able to live safely in the free world, then you have to let people practice living safely in conditions that approximate the free world. So if there have to be some kinds of constraints because we need different kinds of protections to help keep people safe, okay. But ultimately the system should be designed to help people do well when they're not in prison which means that prisons need to look a lot more like the rest of the world, and also that we have to create opportunity and pathways for everybody, for education, for good health, both mentally and physically, for family reunification, for a sense that you could have a job that is fulfilling and that makes you want to do well in the world.
0: In all eight episodes of season one, we found a few threads that tied them together quite beautifully. The first is that diversity is a good thing, whether it be bacteria, buildings, or people. The second is that design is meant to better the human experience for everyone. And lastly, design can champion some of the world's greatest challenges with alternative ideas found in places you don't suspect. Join us as we continue exploring the margins of our industry for thought-provoking ideas that invite us to rethink the design of space. This podcast was brought to you by Kimball International. Thanks for listening.